This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. and welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions to the world and I have to deal with them. I'm your host Molly Marsh. Um, I've just been editing this week's episode a little late this week, sorry about that, um, uh, life got away with me, um, so I've been editing it at the last minute. Um, unfortunately also, uh, the audio for this week's episode isn't great. Um, there were some connectivity problems um, between uh, my guest and I and... Um, it took us a while to sort things out and, and I had a couple of different versions of the audio I was trying to use and, and neither of them sounded great, but I've, I've done the best I can with it. Um, but what I would say is um, my guest, uh, Nathaniel, um, their line of audio is a little bit peaky. Um, so it, it goes very loud at certain uh, moments out of the blue. So what I would say is if you are somebody who um, is sensitive to sudden loud noises, um, I'd either avoid listening altogether this week, or if you listen um, on speakers um, or out loud rather than in headphones, it shouldn't be too bad. If you're listening in headphones, um, you might get a little bit startled by some of the times it peaks slightly. I, I've done my best to um, to try and um, kind of limit that as much as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I'm just I just thought I'd give you guys a heads up um, about that. My guest this week um, was Nathaniel Wayne. Um, host of the Council of Geeks YouTube channel. Um, I first encountered Nathaniel. Well, I've seen their videos on YouTube um, a fair bit over the years. Um, but the, the first time I, I properly encountered uh, Nathaniel was on um, a panel I did uh, for Webcon um, a couple of months back. Uh, and then I, I approached them and asked if they wanted to be a guest on the podcast. And thankfully, they said yes. I had a lovely chat with Nathaniel about... Uh, David Tennant, and also about um, the boyfriends of New Who as well. Um, and also, obviously, we talked about the Council of, G- uh, the Council of Geeks YouTube channel as well. Uh, not the Council of Geeks YouTube channel, as I just said. Anyway, uh, that's all the admin um, for this week. I'll try and, I'll try and um, be a little bit more conscientious about my audio uh, in future so this kind of thing doesn't happen again. But without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nathaniel Wayne. Great. Um, so I'm here with uh, YouTuber uh, Nathaniel Wayne, uh, a.k.a. Um, Council of Geeks. Hello, Nathaniel. Hey there. Um, so, yeah, I, I've I've had your YouTube videos um, popping up on my uh, feed for for a little while now. Um, and I f- first got to kind of chat with you and, and, and half meet you, I guess, in the in the panel we did for Webcon a couple of months ago. 
and I, and I thought you'd be a, a great person to to get on the podcast. I guess first of all, it would be interesting to know um, how kind of Council of Geeks began, what that channel's all about, um, and everything like that. So maybe if you could give it a give us a bit of a a, um, a rundown of that, that would be great. First of all. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll start with what it is now. What it is now is uh, two videos a week. Uh, on Wednesday, I am working my way through a rewatch of Modern Era Doctor Who. Um, I'm currently uh, on the tail end of Series 8 um, for that. And then Saturdays is a rotating feature. I talk about a variety of things, and as the the uh, name of the channel might indicate, it's generally geeky stuff. So Doctor Who does come up a lot, but I'll talk Star Wars, I will talk uh, Marvel, I'll talk DC. Um, I also try and make a point at least once a month to talk about LGBTQ plus representation because I I am part of that community. Um, as far as how the channel started, it started as a very different beast. Very few people go all the way back to the beginning of the thing, but it started as scripted shorts uh, way back in 2012. And that was initially just because I'd had these ideas for these shorts and I just kind of needed to do it so that it was done and I could try and move on to other things. And the first video that was just me rambling at a camera, which is now what the channel pretty much is, although I, I try and have better production value than than that description implies. But um, I, I started doing that initially just to have content between the quote unquote seasons of the scripted show. Got you. And. And then once I realized that I was out of written gags and I wasn't going to come up with new ones fast enough to justify keeping that format going, mm. I just I just shifted into that. And that's what I've been doing since. So so where does the, the name sort of Council of Geeks come from? Because that implies a, a, a number of, uh, of people. Why, why a council? Well, I get this question a lot. Initially, it's because the scripted shorts was about a group of three friends. Okay. So in. In theory, they were the Council of Geeks. I kept the name, first of all, because I like it. And then uh, initially, early on, I was trying to have fairly regularly some of my friends on who live locally uh -huh. um, coming in and appearing on the channel. Over time, that has gotten more complicated as our lives have all gotten more complicated. Like my, my two friends who used to appear semi-regularly, Paul and Ryan, they both have young children now um and i've got my own kid so you know trying to trying to wrangle a schedule uh just became a mess eventually and and i pulled this idea from a comment and i wish i could remember the name of the person who left this comment this was a few years ago now um but they floated the idea that it's in fact the audience and the commenters and the subscribers and that community is the is actually the council that's really nice and you're sort of addressing the council right Exactly. So that's the the sign off at the end of the videos is you are the council. I'm just running the meetings. So I love I, that. I stole that that notion from a commenter um, that I, I hope is not is not upset that I cannot remember who they were. But thank you so much <laughs> for that for that concept. That's why I took it. That's so lovely. Do you feel like a community is built up around the videos then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've because YouTube comments. Uh, usually are, are thought of as toxic and, and horrific environments, aren't they? Well, well, I mean, it depends on one of two things. It depends on whether or not you ever go viral in mainstream YouTube 
or whether you sort of stay within a smaller sphere and how much you yourself are willing to wade into the comments. And mm -hmm. I wade into the comments a lot. I am at this point pretty liberal with the ban hammer um, when it comes to somebody is just being a jerk. I, you know, I don't have a three strike system. I don't have, I'm, I will make my own judgment call. I'll look at what someone is doing and going, you're just here to start trouble and I'll ditch them. And I have a, a very lengthy list of words uh, and phrases that will trigger, um, not the comment being deleted, but it being flagged for review before right, it's publicly right. viewable. So I've, I've put a pretty decent amount of time into cultivating um, the community that is regularly watching my videos. And I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of that. I've had more than a few people comment that it's one of the more welcoming sort of, uh, communities around, uh, around a YouTube channel. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Cause sadly I'd, I'd say as well that, uh, that Dr. Who YouTube has a bit of a bad reputation for, uh, you know, the, uh, the kind of content that, that is, uh, deliberately made to aggravate right and 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 to generate discussion in in not necessarily such a positive way so it's nice that there are corners of youtube like yours that are that are a little bit more um forward thinking and more pleasant right yeah i mean like I, my main my main rule for myself and for my comments is just don't be a jerk Mm. This is not to say I'm never critical of Doctor Who. I can be very critical of Doctor Who. I can even get shouty about Doctor Who. But I'm shouting about the the show and the concepts and the ideas in an episode. I'm not shouting about the people. I am not issuing attacks on the individuals and the creatives involved. Usually, I did tell Moffat to go F himself one time. But <laughs> that... That was because of I think, hellbent. I think he can deal with that. I think he can I, deal yeah. with that. Yeah. That, that. That was a hellbent rant, so uh, I, I kind of, I allow myself that one. But like, I, personal attacks is a huge thing that I avoid because I, you can be as critical of the show as you want, but the minute you start making it personal to the people involved, I'm like, you, now you're just being mean. Mm -hmm. It's not even about whether you like the show. You're just being a, a mean, cruel person. Yeah, and also as a as a um, as a spokesperson to a council of geeks, you are being you are encouraging the council to themselves be mean, right? If you if you uh, enact meanness on your channel. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is you you cultivate the kind of audience that you that you cultivate the kind of person that you project yourself as. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, by and large, and this isn't even restricted to Doctor Who, you'll find that by and large, the communities match the tone of the YouTuber. So, you know, I'll I'll pop around to different communities and some of the, I'll go to uh, the comments of someone like Crispy Pro, who is much more jokey. And there's usually a lot of uh, a lot of gags in the comments. I'll go to someone like Stu Bagful, and there's a lot of there's a lot of snark, but it's well-meaning snark. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it. You do set the tone for what you're going to have in your comments. Yeah, which is yeah, which definitely. is not to say that that there won't always occasionally be outside forces that will come in to try and wreck shop, regardless. But like the standard background level, that's going to be based off what you project. For sure, for sure, as yeah, as well. Like the 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 bulk of the bulk of the comments and the top comments are, are going to be representative of the kind of community that you cultivate, right? Yeah. Yep. 
So have you always um, kind of identified as LGBT while you've been in YouTube, on YouTube or is that something that in your life that has changed while you've been on YouTube? And if so, how has that been, you know, developing that new identity with an audience? So I have always been, I, for clarification, I'm gender fluid. Um, so my, my sense I of hope self that's not book. too um, personal a question, but I thought no, it was no, 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 an, no. an interesting that, thing to discuss. No, no, no. I, I have a whole other channel that is nothing but me talking about gender issues. So no, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I, I'm gender fluid and I, I have a, my sense of self in regards to my gender, it wanders. It doesn't stay put. At this point, it leans feminine. I am on a hormone regimen and I have been, um, you know, gender fluid or gender queer or some, something very clearly not just a cis male because I was, I was born a man. Um, I, I've been queer in, in some capacity for the entire run of the channel. I have not been out on the channel. I came out in January 2018. Mm -hmm. I came out publicly on the channel, but that wasn't a new development in my life. That was just me being open about it on the channel for, for the sure. first time. Yeah. And since then, it it was initially something that I, you know, I made public and I would occasionally bring to the forefront. Um, and for a while, it was only like really evident when I would do, say, the monthly videos on LGBTQ plus representation. At this point, I just present however I'm feeling with pretty much very little regard for worrying if I am presenting masculine in certain videos and more feminine and others. Because th there was a stretch of time where I I still tried to present more masculine in the Doctor Who videos. I think I was just, I, I guess I thought that was my brand. Sure, and, okay. And I, and I don't necessarily regret that, but over time, like having these hard, these hard dividing lines just didn't make sense mm -hmm. after a while. Mm -hmm. And has your audience been kind of broadly respectful of your gender identity? Oh, yeah. On the channel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, one of the most uplifting things I did, because I, I came out, I came out at the very end of a Q&A video that I released celebrating hitting 10,000 subscribers. And I made the video public and went to bed because I knew that if I did it any other way, I was just going to sit there and stare and, waiting and refresh comments. the comments, refresh the comments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I uploaded it and I went to bed uh -huh. and very what wise. I was, well, what I was expecting to wake up to was a sizable drop in subscribe. I was expecting to lose like anywhere from one to 500 subscribers since the video went up. And I was expecting a crap ton of what the hell is this comments. And neither happened. There was an amazing outpouring of support. There was no, um, there wasn't even really a blip of a loss of subscribers from that video. I, I was welcomed. That's so encouraging. It, it, it was, it was really wonderful. It was really amazing. And it, it helped a lot because, you know, I like I'd been out to friends and family for years up to that point. Mm. But I it it wasn't I, I wasn't online out. Sure. Really. So sure. It, it, it's funny. Every now and then I get the question. So tell us about coming out. And I'm kind of like, when? 
yeah, which time yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. there's coming well, that, out to your that significant thing, yeah there's that thing isn't it as a as a as a queer person or as a transgender person you're you're coming out like every every day you're coming out to different people all the time um oh yeah conversation yeah i mean have. like there's a whole range of you know come out to my significant other my family my friends my online friends the general public my sure. co-workers it, it just it just goes it on never, and on it and never on. stops yeah when when um, i came out on the podcast um i did it about six months after i'd come out in real life um and i'd sort of been i wasn't sure how my podcast listeners were going to take it so I, so I, even though I, you know, I, I should have never been worried about that because I know my podcast listeners and they're lovely people. I think I was just, yeah, I was worried about Twitter. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I, I kept it to myself for a while. And then the whole controversy with um, Gareth Roberts happened and I felt very vindicated by that. So I decided in that week to come out on the podcast, but I did it in a little clip right at the end of an episode so that I knew that who I was talking to would be my you know my core listenership rather than just any kind of passing trade so i felt a little bit safer and yeah the response has been has been really positive but you know with a podcast that kind of all kinds of other challenges present themselves because although i'm physically presenting differently than i used to i've not really done a lot to change the way i speak so i imagine for listeners it's a bit jarring because well i, I still sound exactly like i sounded before um which must be yeah um you know, which must be kind of tricky for for a listener, but um, yeah, well, I, don't I mean, know. like it's, it's been 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 uh, interesting. Voice work is the what's really annoying because, like, at at this point, you know, I've I've been um, I've been on T blockers for I think going on four years soon, and I've been on estrogen for uh, about eight months. But see, the thing is, none of that does anything to your voice. No, the only no. thing that changes your your voice is time and practice uh -huh. and like i i can pitch my voice up i can't hold on i can bring it up and i can go softer with it and i can go a bit more feminine with it but it is something that i have to consciously it's conscious. do and yeah so I'm yeah not, i'm really not there yet and uh yeah because I, I, my, I have to be cool default, with that yeah yeah my default settles in more around here which although admittedly this is still a little higher than i used to be mm. i used to be a bit more in the down here range so sure. you know it it has wandered up a little on its own i think it's that consideration of do i do i attempt to consciously modify the way i'm speaking or do i focus on having really great conversations with the guests and i sort of have had to weigh that up and have decided the latter is is kind of still a little bit more um important uh to me in terms of making the the podcast i guess i i, I want to know about how you got into um doctor who then nathaniel uh, originally and and what that journey's been like oh i i <laughs> i love telling this story so i i didn't grow up on doctor who like i i knew it was a thing that existed like i had a friend who who's lived in a family that had pbs which was a public television and used to air reruns of it. Sure. And I think I caught, I think I caught a little bit of, I think it was a Peter Davison episode one time when I was at his house and I'm like, I have no idea what this is and I'm bored. Um, because, you know, I grew up on, on star Wars and higher end and, you know, star Trek, the next generation and higher end production values at that age. I couldn't overlook the way it just looked. I'm not going to hold um, that against you. So it, it was something that, you know, I never got into classic initially. So what happened was um, on my honeymoon, 
um, this was with my daughter's mother. We're not, we're not together anymore, but we, we honeymooned in London and we spent a week there, which I figure is like the perfect amount of time to spend in a place like London, because it's enough time to hit all the touristy spots that you're quote unquote supposed to hit, but also have a few things that are tailored for your particular interests and also to have some downtime. Mm. Mm. So we had a stretch of downtime where we didn't have to be anywhere. We didn't have anything planned. And so we just lazed about for a little bit. She took uh, a long bath and I started flipping through channels. And I stopped when I saw an ood. So this was the episode of The Satan Pit uh, right. from David Tennant's run. A great story. It is great. Now, here's the thing. I stopped on it for the nerdiest damn reason. I stopped because I'm like, hey, that looks a little bit like a mind flayer from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and so like you, that, you stop on this on this mind flayer and yep, I do you keep watching? Is that when you're hooked or, or no? I can tell you the exact moment that it was like, I, I, as soon as I'm back home, I need to find out, you know, where the, where this revive series started and, and catch up and then start watching the exact moment where that happened is where tenant is being lowered into the pit. That's and such an exciting moment. It's wonderful. And the, the cable runs out. And he's looking down into the blackness and he says, you know, it could be miles to go yet or it could be 30 feet. I could survive 30 feet. And the minute he said that, it starts unhooking himself from the harness. I'm like, I, I have to I have to get into this. I am so mesmerized by what I'm watching. I have to get into this. So as soon as we were back, this was back when Netflix was still primarily mailed DVDs. Um, so I got back and caught up on the first three series and started watching them as they aired, starting with series four. Um, and I have over that same time gradually been working my way through classic. That's that's an ongoing project. And that's that's going to take me a while to get through all of that, because dang it, people, there's a lot and it's not all good. But that's that's where I came in. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I, you know, I've still not seen every classic story. And I like the fact that I've still not seen every classic story because it means there's there's always going to be new Doctor Who, even if even if um, the the new show stops airing. Like there'll still be classic stories I haven't seen, um, and so I'm I'm kind of trying to work my way through them pretty slowly, um, for for that reason. Oh, that that's actually kind of an interesting perspective. I hadn't even thought of well, that. Well, that's the excuse I I um give myself anyway. That that's that's your rationalization for dragging your feet on that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, when would you say was the moment that you became? Uh, that you went from being someone who watched Doctor Who to being a Doctor Who fan? Um, I about five minutes into Rose. Right. Um, it, it, it was it was the moment when Eccleston, um, you know, sort of shoves her out of the building and then pops back out. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose Tyler. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. And I'm like that. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on this. Oh, Rose is so fantastic. It's such a um, it's such a fantastic vehicle for getting into the show. I think so perfectly crafted for that. I uh, see. I'm actually not a huge fan of the episode overall. Like, it hooked me in absolutely. I don't think it's aged particularly well, especially as that there are a lot of elements in it that I do not think are representative of what the show is now. Mm -hmm. So I actually kind of well, hesitate. I, yeah, I don't think that first year has, has um, aged particularly well at all, but I think that's part of its charm is that it exists 
had this conversation oh, yeah. with somebody else the other week, but yeah, it exists purely in 2005 and we're never going to, it's never going to butch from being in 2005. And I love that. about. Oh it. yeah, absolutely. But I just mean in terms of if you're, if you're trying to get somebody into Dr. Who, I'm always hesitant to say, Oh, we'll just start with series one. Cause I'm kind of like, because mm, I can see things in that series that are, that would put people off that mm -hmm. don't show up <laughs> again as the show goes on. Um, you know, as regular Which features. elements would you would you? Pick well, out as, I mean, I mean the the belching trash bin, the farting aliens, yeah, the 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 more overtly camp elements. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Which yeah. it's not to say that they've ever gone away completely, but they're way less prevalent than they are in that first series. Yeah, and I think some of the it's even some of the performances in series one, the actors don't really know whether they're meant to be acting in a kid's show or not i think even noel clark in series one it comes across like he thinks he's acting in a kid's show and i'm not saying doctor who isn't for kids of course it's at its heart it's a kid's show but it's not his performance is, is quite overtly children's television in a way that it isn't later on because it cause See, the show I, hadn't I, been I, on yet so they hadn't they hadn't worked out what it really was that's true, but I wouldn't blame him for coming to that conclusion, considering he had to stand there in plastic-looking makeup, going pizza, but but yeah, pizza, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can I can see but, why he got that impression. Yeah, if I was him, I would think I was in a kids' show too. Yeah, absolutely, especially when I'm when I was an actor known, you know, you know no class an actor known for quite serious drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to do um, unpopular opinions, uh, Nathaniel? Yeah, sure. We can go for that. Great. Um, so, do do you want to start with the the positive one or the negative one? Oh, did you did you manage to think up a positive one? I I think so. I, I like. Here's the thing. I'm I'm not always the best gauge on knowing how unpopular these opinions are. Nor because, am I. It's just a free for all yeah. now. Yeah, it's it's yeah, absolutely there, a free for all. There's stuff that like. Wait a minute. People think what? Mm -hmm. Um. Also, like I was going to point this out earlier. But the consensus changes which, uh, depending on which circle you're in. So it's when you mentioned about um, your hell-bent rant. O on YouTube, I've noticed, it's the consensus that everybody has no time for hell-bent and hates hell-bent. Whereas in my Twitter circle, everybody loves hell-bent. So it's, it, it's interesting to see how things differ like that in, in different fan communities. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, I know Hellbent has fans. There are people in my comments section. I love Hellbent. I'm actually a Hellbent like... convert. I I used to be like you, and then I I watched it lots of times and spoke to different people about it and had my mind changed. And now it's probably in my top five Doctor Who stories ever. See, here's the thing that almost happened to me, but then it turned around and nosedived again. So, like, we'll get to what I actually prepared in a second. This I I I can't not talk about hellbent if it's brought up so the very first time i saw hellbent i was just confused by it i did not know what the hell i had just seen me too me too now after i had my initial review out there were a number of things that went on in that comment section that sort of gave me a better idea of what was being done with it and so on my second watch i thought better of it because i'm like oh i see what it's doing now but then after I recorded that second review video and I actually thought about what it was doing, you know, separate from, oh, now I understand. Oh, and I guess it does kind of accomplish what it's doing. The more I thought about what it was doing, the more I'm like, oh, yes, it accomplished what it was trying to do and what it was trying to do was different. But I hate what it was trying to do. 
So I went from confusion to mild appreciation to utter loathing. <laughs> what a journey. Yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster with that one. And I've had it reinforced because, oh, God, the review's not going to come out for some months. But I have watched and shot my latest rewatch review on that episode. And I, I went in, like, I, it was building to this. Like, all the way through Series 9, I'm like, I'm watching the groundwork get laid because I know what's coming. And I'm even acknowledging as it goes along, I, I'm seeing the groundwork here, and then we get to Hellbent, I'm like, no, it still doesn't, ah, I still hate this, I'm sorry. That makes me so sad. <laughs> I, I, and I mean, it frustrates me, because I, I, I also know how frustrating it can be when like somebody doesn't like something, you feel in the back of your, and I mean, it's a pretentious thing to say, so you gotta be careful, but like you're thinking, well, you don't understand it. If I could get you to understand what it's doing, maybe mm. you'd like it more. No, but and then... I totally understand. I, I, I reckon I, I totally understand people who dislike Hellbent because I was once one of you. Do you know what I mean? And that doesn't even mean to say, and now I've seen the light. You know, I don't mean to come across like that either. It's just that, yeah, my my perspective on it has totally shifted. We On this podcast, we like to call it the most anarcho-feminist piece of Doctor Whoever. Um, but I only do that to troll people, really. <laughs> Interesting perspective. I mean, look, here's ultimately where I come down. Regardless of what Hellbent did or didn't do, it in no way improved or elevated what happened, at least to me, what happened in Face the Raven and Heaven Sent. Those work better without Hellbent. No matter what I think of Hellbent in isolation, those function better without it. Mm. I think that might be true of Heaven Sent. But it's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> oh, fair, fair enough. So we we tangented really early. Okay, so um, you know what? Let's start negative and we'll go positive. That later. sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll bring it back up. So I think the, the most consistent... Because also if we get into a rabbit hole here, we can just... You know, we can just call it a day. We don't necessarily need <laughs> need to do two opinions. Although I'm intrigued about your positive opinion is. So let's let's start with negativity and and yeah, see how it goes. Okay, so this this is like one of the most consistent things, and and it's often misconstrued. But when people say, "Look at my videos, my more my most recent videos ranking my the doctors and where they land for me." And the fact that I put Tenant in about the middle, mm. whereas Tenant appears to largely be viewed as an unimpeachable god, um, that seems to be the the main one. And I want to be really clear. I do not dislike David Tennant. There are only two doctors who I have not been able to find something to really latch on to. Neither of them is David Tennant. But the more I've gotten into Doctor Who as a franchise the more I I feel like he's lacking some of my favorite elements that other doctors have brought to it. And what he brought to it, which is fairly unique to him, and I get why people latch on to it, I don't want in a doctor. I, I frequently say he is the most human of the doctors. You're and speaking my language right now. This is all stuff I absolutely agree with. I was so intrigued yeah. as to what your angle would be on finding Tennant uh you know, less preferable. And I, I'm yeah, glad that it's kind I, of aligning with what I think. I, I don't, I don't want a human doctor. I want 
the doctor should feel in some way alien. Now, the very specific nature of that can vary wildly, mm. but a lot of it has to do with, at least for me, can I predict the doctor's reaction to something? Because with most of the other doctors, if something happens, maybe I have a pretty good idea what they're going to do, but there's always the chance that they're going to surprise me because their reaction isn't going to be the the normal human reaction to something. Yeah. What, whether it be positive or negative that, things. Yeah, that that's reaction. also that's also true of um, of line readings, even from an acting perspective. Tennant always reads lines in like he's he's a fantastic actor and he and he plays the part well, but he reads lines in the way you would expect. Whereas um, actors like Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi read lines in a very um, yeah in in a very what's the word I'm looking for? Idi- idiosyncratic way. They're, yeah. they're, re- they're reading the lines in a way you absolutely do not expect. And I, and I really, I really like that about them. I, I feel like with, with every other actor who's played the doctor at, there's something about their performance that someone who doesn't know doctor who, and just like came in on a scene, somebody would go, what's wrong with that person? Yeah. And, and and I mean that in the way like they're not behaving normal. And if you go, well, they're an alien, they just go, oh, OK, well, that tracks then. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would ask that question about Tennant. Nobody would ask what's wrong with that guy. No, not at all. Not at all. And, he's he's and, more of a superhero, isn't he, than other doctors? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, again, I get why people connect with that. I It makes total logical sense to me that. People connect with the doctor who is more human. It even makes sense to me as an acting choice, especially for that doctor, because he believes Gallifrey to be gone. He's spending a lot of time on Earth. He's kind of gone native a little bit. I told I will defend it as an acting choice. It's totally valid. I just don't really like it. Yeah, it's not it's not my kind of doctor. Um, and I yeah, I think it's a flatter performance as well than the, than pretty much all of the other new who doctors. Um, like when you when you watch particularly Smith and Capaldi and, and Eccleston as well, not so much Whitaker, but but Smith, Eccleston, and Capaldi. When you watch their stuff, you're seeing more details in their performances every time you rewatch. And I don't get that same thing with Tennant. It's very f- surface level with him most of the time. There's the odd moment where I where I think there's loads of texture to what he's doing, but by and large, it's very flat. And yeah, I, I, I actually think one of the acting reasons for that um, is, and I've said this for a long time, is his accent that he chooses to do. I think if he'd mm. been allowed to be Scottish, it would have been a, a, a much better performance. Because I think even though he can clearly do that Astri accent very well, when you're thinking about an ac- when you're having to think about an accent at all when you're performing, it it necessarily inhibits the performance, doesn't it? Yeah, not everything else is going to flow as naturally because at least part of your brain has to be constantly focusing on your pronunciation mm-hmm. of things. So, yeah, I I hadn't thought of that. That might honestly be a contributing factor to sort of what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, Tennant might tell you that's a load of nonsense and he, and he found the accent easy. But, um, it's yeah, it's just a little theory I've got. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's a viable one. Like, I'm not going to say that's true. I don't know. We can't know that. No. But it it tracks it makes sense um and again not a knock on david Tennant. he seems like a wonderful guy i still like him in this part i mm. still like tenant stories i just don't like him as much 
as most of the other doctors. Yeah. Yeah. The other comparison I always make is in the girl in the fireplace when um, when he kisses Renette and she walks out of the room and he says, I'm the doctor and I just snogged Madame de Pompadour. And he reads it as a sort of triumphant thing. Whereas I think I always imagine Matt Smith doing that line and it would be so bumbling and awkward and like he didn't really know what had happened. And that to me it speaks to what the doctor is a lot more. Like imagine yeah. Matt Smith reading that line, it would be so different. I mean ten tenant is kind of the most I mean and people people can and will argue with you because they'll bring up like stuff at the very end of his run, like with Waters of Mars or whatever. But, you know, mm. barring a couple of specific instances, he is the most traditionally heroic. Mm -hmm. And a big part of what I like about and the even that, is... But even that stuff is traditionally heroic in a sense, because that's just like the hubris that all heroes inevitably end up having. If they're yeah. here, if they it's that thing of you, you either die a hero or live, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That that has happened to so many heroes, hasn't it? You know, even if you look at like Batman and Superman, like there are stories of those those kind of heroes going bad as they as they live for too long and appear in too many stories and are the hero of too many stories. Yeah, I, and that that's true. But like, sort of what I was getting at is that. Tennant is the most traditionally heroic. And mm. a lot of what I like about most of the Doctor portrayals is the the lack of a lot of traditionally heroic traits. Like most, not all of them, but most of the Doctors are cowards. A lot of them are schemers. They're, the Doctor is, aside from Tennant, isn't stand defiantly in the face of odds and, you know, be, be the traditional hero. The only thing that he's lacking from, you know, being uh, a, a front book cover from a pulp novel is uh, is a 45 on it uh, in one hand and a woman on his other hip. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's even got the good looks that other doctors don't necessarily have as much. Yeah. I'd, I'd say the, the only other one who gave him a run for his money in that department was McGann. Yes. True. True. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, he still looks great for his age, right? He looks oh my incredible. God, like, right? what's going on? The guy's like 60 years old. Like, oh. I, I, want more, I want some of what he's drinking. I know. Oh, that man's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think one of the other elements to uh, Tennant's appeal is that he appeared in some of the most popular stories of the show's run and in one of the most popular eras of the show? So people kind of... He's intrinsically linked to those those successful and popular stories in people's minds um it's a little bit i i don't i don't want it to sound like people like him by association i do think people genuinely do like him but it is true i personally stand by series four as being the strongest series of the show so far but the thing is like it really did kind of build to that series two is a rough ride and series three is stronger but like has some major stumbles in it so i i think part of it might just be how hard a, a dividing line there is between the end of his era and the start of smith's because it was not only a new doctor it was a changeover of creative team so i think it just kind of naturally creates a much harsher divide that i don't i don't think it engenders 
um, defense, you know, defense and love of him because it's associated with something really good, even though he wasn't a lot of good stuff, mm. but rather there's this clear line where the thing that you like stopped and it kind of creates this resistance to what's this new thing that replaced the thing I love. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, when you speak to regular people about Doctor Who, they'll always tell you, oh, well, I watched all of David Tennant's run and I watched a little bit of Matt Smith and then I stopped and I haven't seen it since. It's the most common story you hear from non-fans, at least in this country. And I think maybe that does, you know, it speaks a little bit to the shift in focus in terms of target audience that the show show took during the early Smith era. But it also just does speak to the fact that there was a change of both cast and creative team that coincided and probably a lot of the people I'm speaking to about it also just got older and grew out of Doctor Who a little bit at that time um, because they'd all be a similar age to me. So, yeah, I think there there were maybe... I guess I'm I'm not trying to say that he was... he's, He's liked by association, but I think there were a lot of factors around him that contributed to his popularity like even if this, his stories aren't the best stories it was the the best time for the modern show in terms of viewing figures so he's gonna yeah. be the doctor people remember for that reason well i also think part of that is you know at that there's a point at which the the zeitgeist crests mm. so that there'll be a point where something is really new and and novel and and, you know people really get into it and that will build for a little while but eventually it'll 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 hit a point where people will will naturally start to taper off now in the case of doctor who there is a a, there's a much clearer breaking point than is typical but you look at something like the walking dead its numbers are nowhere near what it used to be and i'm pretty sure a lot of people just faded off it after a while um or like with me i did the first two seasons of orange is the new black and then you know, it kept going after that. And it, it would be one of those things people like, oh, there's a new season. I'd be like, oh, is that still on? Um, you know, it. I think there's there's a certain excitement that can happen when the thing is new and everyone is talking about it. Definitely. But But after a while, people who aren't fully committed will move on to something else. Yeah, and I I feel like normally that I mean, would Do- be a Doctor two- Who has defense mechanisms built in for that a little bit with how often it, it changes does. its cast and creative team and and kind of goes in new directions. But I don't think it's a I don't think it's totally ironclad. Yeah, well, and I mean even that can't recapture the the no. thrill of the show coming back for the first time since 1989. Yeah. So you know, just there being a new doctor on a show that has been going continuously from 2005, that's not going to measure up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in most situations, that sort of crest is two, maybe three seasons. And possibly one of the main reasons that Doctor Who got away with four is that it's a British show and there's fewer episodes per series yeah. Yeah, than, yeah. than, than say, uh, any given American TV show. American shows do like 20, 25 episodes a season sometimes, don't they? It's, it's exhausting. The, yeah, the primetime network ones, it's usually uh, between 20 and 24. And I, at this point especially, I don't know why. It's too many. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just Before we move on to talking about something else, I want to point out um, for a little bit of, of positivity at the end, my three favorite tenant moments. And maybe you could point out some of yours as well. Um, 
Firstly, it's when he tells Donna her name was Rose. That just breaks my heart. The way he delivers that line is so painful. Um, secondly, is when Donna asks him, um, Ro- uh, Ro- Rose is coming back and that can only be a good thing, right? And he says, yeah, and he smiles at her and that smile is just amazing. And thirdly, it's when he tells Wilf that he would be proud if he was his dad. Um, those are my three favorite tenant moments that yeah despite him not being my favorite doctor they they absolutely knock out of the park see i i find it very telling that uh, that uh all three of those involve members of either donna or a member of her family because yeah donna donna is amazing and so is wilf yeah i think <laughs> Catherine tate and bernard cribbins bring bring great performances out of david Tennant. yeah i mean if we're gonna go specific moments um like i i I will always have a really soft spot uh, in my heart for that one I already told you about from the Satan pit that got me into mm. the show in the first mm. place. I really, really love in um, Forest of the Dead when when the uh, the Vashti Narada are coming for him and he's, he just says, I'm the doctor and you're in the biggest library in history. Look me up. And then he just stands there. And so waits great. For, to, that's Moffat waits for them pull, to realize who pull, they're me- yeah. messing with. It's that's Moffat pulling a trick that he would then pull again and again and again throughout his run. I love that Like that's such a clear first instance of him doing that. It, and I would, unfortunately, I would say pulled it again and again with diminishing returns yeah, each no, time. I totally but agree. That, I totally that agree. That first time, oh. Mwah, but I love, I love Science of the Library for the fact that it's, it's, um, it's just a Moffat-era story plonked in the in the rtd era i watched it the other month and it's it's remarkable how much it just feels like a moffat era story like it's a a a first draft for his era just like plonked right in the middle of the davis era which i love i i go back and forth on whether my favorite tenant is uh is that two-parter or midnight or midnight is definitely a a showcase of his acting as well yeah there there's this moment and it's not it's not like a it's not a strong moment for the doctor. It's actually a moment where it kind of snaps. I, I love in the moment uh, in midnight when they're all like, well, why should we be listening to you? And mm. he just finally snaps and shouts because I'm clever. Yeah. Yeah. But that's him. That's him losing control. Um, yeah. Well, and that's yeah. the point where everybody in that bus turns on him. What do you think about the stuff? Cause I know a, there's a lot of detractors now um, in terms of uh, the, the, the tenant finale when he, when he regenerates and he, is kind of a little brat about it and (laughs) people have issues with that these days and i'm not all that comfortable with it especially in light of how regeneration is how the doctor sees regeneration the rest of the time and how i like to see regeneration what what do you feel how do you feel about that um i feel i feel too pronged about it on the one hand i don't personally like it i don't like the hissy fit and i don't like the dreading it and viewing it like a death But I do feel it is justified, actually, because of what we had already been talking about. He is the most human doctor. So he is going to have the most human reaction to the fact that he's about to, in his view, die. That's true. Yeah. Because I think viewing regeneration as a death is something that a human would do. And dreading that is something a human would do. And given that he is more human in his reactions across the board, it makes sense and it tracks. But much like that whole element of tenant's performance i don't really care for it mm-hmm. i guess like for, I, like for what I, it for what I'll it de- is tenant does it well yeah but i I'll don't de- like de- what it is i'll defend it as um as consistent 
yeah. it makes sense. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, no, but, I feel you know. exactly the same about it. I, d- I don't like the whole this is a death thing, and I don't like... Yeah, I don't like his hissy fit about I'm so important and I know what it's trying to do, but it doesn't it doesn't feel good to watch it. <laughs> Even that last yeah, line about I, I don't want to go. It just I don't know, it just doesn't speak to the ethos of the doctor for me. You you know what should have happened with those hissy fit lines? Mm. They should have happened, but they shouldn't have been tenants' lines, they should have been Wilf's. Yeah, definitely. If you flip that on its head, that would have worked yeah, a lot better, probably. They should have been. I, and like again, I'm not saying that what they did was inconsistent, but like what I would have liked would have been Wilf saying effectively those same lines, but saying them as a plea mm. for the Doctor not to sacrifice. Yeah. Well, himself. he sort of does well, that as well. He sort of says like, "Please don't, please don't, Doctor," and the Doctor's just walking relentlessly towards him by the end. So yeah, there is a yeah, bit of that so there. There is some of that there, but like imagine those lines that. This whole in, instead of it being this self thing with with the doctor, imagine Wolf going, no, like you could do so much more, mm. and you know, try, trying to argue against the saving of his own life. I mean, I, for me personally, that would have played way more powerfully. Absolutely, than this little tantrum. Yeah, that would have been great. Would have been great. Not that Tennant doesn't perform the tantrum well. Uh, of course. Oh no, he performs it fine. I just I don't like the yeah, decision yeah. to do it. <laughs> no, I totally feel the same. Great. Should we should we move on to your to your positive mystery positive opinion then? And the sure. Final? So here's something that that I've realized in the last uh, few months or so, as I've been getting the videos up for my rewatch on series eight, and I've been seeing people's reactions to Danny Pink and being like, oh, I don't like him. Like this isn't specifically about him, but broadly speaking, I like the boyfriends. And I feel like I feel like they get crapped on a bit. Rory, not so much, but I feel like Mickey gets crapped on. I feel like Danny definitely gets crapped on. I kind of like the boyfriends. I kind of which is weird for me because broadly speaking, I don't like the domestics. I don't like how often it comes down to soap opera stuff. But that usually is more stuff like I don't like Jackie that much. Um, and I love Donna, but I, and I love Wilf, but I, I don't so like shocked. Donna. I've never heard anyone say they don't like Jackie. I find her irritating. I don't mm. enjoy her presence, but I I like the boyfriends, and I think part of it is I like being able to see how what the Doctor brings out of a companion is different from what they would have day to day, because you have the boyfriend to show what a quote unquote normal life might look like for this person. And so that you you have a contrast and you can better appreciate the unique experiences and the unique growth that being with the doctor can give them. Yeah, definitely. And and they do it very carefully often because they it would be easy just to make the boyfriends just shitty characters in order yeah. to to illustrate how fantastic the doctor is. And I suppose they do that a little bit with Mickey in series 1, but by and large, they're actually actually really well fleshed out, really well characterized characters. I mean, Rory is almost on a different level because he ultimately becomes a companion to the Doctor. Um, but yeah, they're, yeah, they're all they're all fully fleshed out people. He he does, but it it I think it it does a lot. Well, it does a lot for the companions, and then by association, it it actually does something for the Doctor because for the companions, it it you know gets to show a different side to them. 
um, than you know what they're going to have with the doctor. But what yeah. that also means is it is it gives you a better if it's done right, and I think it has been so far in the show that it gives you a better appreciation of what the doctor has and the connections that he builds and how they're not the same as what you could get from traveling with anybody else. Like you could, you could take these companions, you could hand them a TARDIS and send them off traveling with anyone other than the doctor. It wouldn't be the same. No, no. And and there are positives and negatives to that, right? There's a, there's a fantastic and exciting side to that. And then there's a toxic side to that. And I think that having, having an observer there to kind of, yeah, to observe that, um, doctor companion relationship from the outside is really useful in, ex- in exposing both the good and the bad in being a companion of the doctor yeah i i feel like the the boyfriends again rory not as much but i feel like the boyfriends get a bad rap because there's this feeling like that they're a wet blanket and they're trying to and they're a damper on things but i i i feel like they have historically added a dimension to the proceedings that is that is a net positive it's a net gain yeah i totally agree mickey is mickey is probably like my favorite character across series one and two i really like his journey we i had a really interesting um conversation with um uh samantha harden about it on the on the podcast uh, a, a few episodes back um about the the representation of mickey and danny as black characters and how at times that is kind of dubious and the fact that mickey turns from this kind of sensitive wet flannel into this tough guy is actually a bit suspect from a from a racial point of view um and also you know the doctor's treatment of both those characters is not exactly ideal in terms of race relations no Um, it definitely isn't see it's funny i i don't i don't often think about doctor who in terms of its um racial dynamics not because i don't think they're there but because i know that i personally don't know enough about the racial dynamics of the uk sure and i know that a lot of what's going to be there is going to be reflective of the um the environment the societies be the shows being made in Mm -hmm. and i don't know that now if something goes completely off the rails i'll call that out yeah but like something like that I, I wouldn't have thought to to peg because it re- it requires the more nuanced understanding of race relations in the UK that I just don't have. Yeah, I guess I, I'd never thought about it just because I'm white. I'd never really given it any thought until the last couple of years when I'd seen black commentators talking about yeah, um, th- Mickey there's... and Danny like that, and particularly Samantha, obviously, who I had the in-depth conversation um, yeah, there's uh, there's that too. That is that is a very valid point. Mm. I I, I kind of we made a point um, in that podcast, um, or came to the conclusion in that podcast that it's interesting that that Mickey in particular um, was probably not conceived of as a um, black character. It probably it would was just the case that Noel Clark happened to be the person they cast, and I think you can tell from the way. You know, the Doctor even calls him an ape at one point. It's just not the sort of thing... You'd hope it's not the sort of thing that would be written with a, you know, with a black actor in mind. And therefore, yeah. it is kind of damning when he, when he kind of starts to be drawn towards this more black guy stereotype in Series 2. Because then that season is written with Noel Clarke in mind. So it's a little bit like, oh, that's a shame that 
Do you know what I mean? That he was that he was a less stereotypical young black guy in series one, and then once yeah. they once they knew they had a black guy, it w- it was the stereotype started to come to the fore. Um, and I'm I'm not saying Mickey's a walking stereotype in series two or anything. Like obviously he's a he's a, still a complex character and has got a lot going for him. But that just yeah that just uh, intrigued me. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I that was not something that I had thought of and and I hadn't considered. That's that's definitely interesting to to think about. Also, Mickey has a really rough time in terms of the fact that in series one he gets accused of Rose's murder for an entire year, and they really brush over that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of played off like it's funny. Yeah, like, like it's, it, it's like, like it's... this poor guy, this poor black guy has had to deal with being a murder suspect for 12 months and then it's just played off. It's really odd. Yeah, and I mean, like, again, I, do, I don't know the specifics of the dynamics in the UK, but I can certainly tell you in the US that if a black man was was <laughs> believed by the local populace, regardless of whether or not charges were brought in, if he was believed to have killed a white, a young white woman... Not only would he have been shunned, he would have been afraid of his life mm, that mm. someone was going, somebody was going to take him out during, you know, just because he walked down to the shops. Sure. So it is, it is it's, yeah, a little, it's definitely not taken seriously enough by Yeah, it's by a little the, bit the like, that's, uh, that's not funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I suppose it's another instance of, because it's the, ultimately it's the doctor that really shrugs that kind of thing off. And even like in, in Rose, in that first episode where, um, mickey's head melts right the auton head melts on the console and um the doctor's not even thought about the fact that mickey's a real person really the doctor's relationship with those boyfriends with mickey danny and rory kind of um exposes him as somebody who just picks people he likes to travel with him and then kind of is happy to to disregard the rest of the human populace in a way do you know what i mean he cares about them broadly but as individuals, he he doesn't really give a shit, especially if they're ordinary people. Yeah, no, I I would uh, I would agree with that. It's, I mean, it's funny because the it does go off the rails slightly with Danny because he is so mean to Danny without even knowing mm, mm. his connection. I think they're with going Clara. for a sort of protective father thing, but yeah, you're right. He does it before he even knows that she's with Clara. That he's with Clara. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of what threw me. Like, I remembered him being mean to Danny, but I didn't remember the fact that it started from the instant he met Danny and went on for a while before he understood that the two of them were together. So, and and it it, I was gonna say it kind of worked. I don't, I didn't love it. I actually, I have a lot of issues with that, especially since it seems to be born completely out of this idea that all of a sudden the doctor has a massive prejudice against soldiers. Yeah, and I'm it's meant to like, be tied into the soldier thing, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, my first question is, uh, since when? Yeah. Um, but it, overall, despite some stumbles along the way, I, I think that of of all of the various domestic elements that have been around since the Davies era, because he basically invented that whole side of Doctor Who, because, um, like, we never met companions, families in classic. For all intents and purposes, they didn't have them. Yeah, no, that we didn't. So, yeah, not at all. So, as much as I do not care for a fair amount of the baggage that comes with the domestics, 
I I do th- I do like the boyfriends and I do like what they bring to the table and what they bring out for the characters despite you know some stumbles here and there. Would you like to see um, partners of companions going forward then with with Jody's crew? Well, not until they whittle it down because there's too many damn people in that TARDIS yeah. as it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree but, on that front. But I know that last we were aware that um, Ryan and Graham are leaving after the next special. Yeah, I don't think that's confirmed, but it seems to be the idea everybody has about it. Um, yeah. So d- now, Due to if, like information if, about filming schedules and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So if that happens, then sure. If they want to get into a bit more with Yaz and either her family or have her get a, a partner or something like that, like I'd be more open to it then. But like right now, it's it's too damn crowded too many characters already right well like i i always want to i always want to clarify my issue with the crowd the overcrowded tardis right now i don't think it's impossible to make a four-person tardis crew work what i am going to say is it was a very bad idea to introduce everybody in the in the at once i totally right agree yeah. yeah 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 because when you get a regenerated doctor that's effectively a new character too mm. Mm. So we, they oh, totally, should not, yeah. they should not have had that many people in the TARDIS until the second series. Yeah, I absolutely I, agree. Yeah, I mean they could go with the reverse now. Like you know, they could go with a Yaz stays on and Graham and Ryan stay on as tertiary characters in the odd episode back home. I'd be okay with that because, like, honestly, I, I feel like Yaz has the more potential for growth and development at this I agree. point. Yeah. And I, and I, I say that having not actually cared for her as much as Ryan and Graham, but I mm-hmm. feel like Ryan and Graham have done whatever they're going to do. Well, they they finished that arc pretty much at the end of series 11. Series 12 yeah. was almost, was almost um, surplus to requirements in terms of their actual character arc. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's, there's places to go with Yaz. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Full blown lesbianism for one. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, if the show wants to do that, I although I will I will continue to say I don't want the Doctor to be romantically involved, not just with companions, but like at all. At I all. Don't, okay. I don't I don't want it. I don't like it as much as I am. I am all here for queer representation. I I don't ship them at all. I'm fine if Yaz gets a crush on the Doctor. But you wouldn't want the Doctor to reciprocate. Nope. The Doctor yeah. it. My headcanon is the Doctor is asexual. Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't know. When I was younger, I used to feel that way. But as I've got older, I've started to I've started to be a bit more sympathetic to the Doctor um, being in romantic relationships, particularly um, his relationship with River. Um, I thought worked really well. Um, but I yeah I I I'd agree that maybe I wouldn't want Yaz and the Doctor to to go that way purely because i think it the age gap and the power imbalance would be odd yeah i know that's a strange thing to say because like the doctor's like two thousand years old or whatever and i don't really mean that i just mean that like the doctor is a is an is an older person who yaz looks to for support and trusts yeah you know i think that would seem iffy especially nowadays i mean i think even the relationship between the doctor and rose seems a little iffy actually when you look back at uh, um at series two um and even series one 
Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, well, I'd like be interested. I, yeah, yeah, especially when you consider that that dynamic wasn't really like she was vaguely teasing of him in series one, and then he regenerates into this hotter looking guy, and she's suddenly mm. all over him. It's like, yeah. uh. But like I, I'm kind of. But okay even in series where... one, there's a, there's a, it's, it's so sexually charged. I always say that that series one of Doctor Who, and series one of Queer as Folk, are both about a teenager getting into a forbidden relationship with a with an eccentric older man. Like it's that's it's the same <laughs> narrative when you watch both. See, I haven't I haven't seen uh, Queer as Folk, so I'd, I'd have. I'd to take so it recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. So it's a it's a good time. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, um, Nathaniel. It's been really great. Um, before you go, where can people find you on Twitter, YouTube, etc.? I uh, just look for Council of Geeks. You'll find uh, YouTube. You'll find Twitter. You'll find Instagram, but I don't do that one too much. But yeah, Council of Geeks. You will find my stuff. Fantastic. And you can um, find uh, me, as usual, at uh, Molly underscore Martian. You can find the podcast, as usual, at Galatiopod. And you can email the podcast um, at Galatiopod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Nathaniel. And bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks.